reading from the Gospel of John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing him, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you all from our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. It had been a gruesome death, betrayed by friends, separated from loved ones. His young life was cut short before it seemed he could finish his work. And now, improbably, he was alive again. The people gathered near his tomb had heard rumors that he might rise again, but they weren't expecting to see him this evening. And now, here he stood before them, unleashing havoc like the world had never seen before as he sought revenge, destroying everyone in his path so he could carry out the terms of the ancient curse set upon him. Oh, I'm sorry, did you think I was talking about Jesus? I thought I was being pretty clear that I was reciting plot points from the 1999 film The Mummy, starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss. There's more than one way to come back from the dead, isn't there? The mummy in that film is raised from the grave, but his new life is filled with vengeance and domination and fear. He's alive, yes, but his life is full of death. Jesus is raised from the grave, and his new life is filled by speaking words of peace, reconciling with friends, granting forgiveness, and empowering others with the Holy Spirit to send them into the earth. <clears throat> 
he's alive. And his life is full of life that just spills over into the world. This is what we need to remember when we talk about resurrection. Yes, resurrection involves God raising Jesus from the dead, but it's so much more than that one event. Resurrection isn't just about getting up from the grave. It's about getting free from the ways of death in the world. See, death is greedy. It doesn't wait to flex its power until we take our final breath. It wants to steal our life while we are still living. And so it sends its minions, fear and sin, to capture us and keep us from life. Death sent them to the disciples in today's reading. Just look at them at the beginning. They've locked themselves in a room because of fear. They've closed themselves off to the world around them, unable to experience beauty or possibility or peace. Fear has put a barrier between them and life. Fear, death's minion, has taken their life from them while they are still living. They might as well be gathered in a tomb. And that's not the only way death's power is in the room with them. The disciples also carry around the guilt and shame of their sin and wrongdoing. Consider the weight on their souls in this reading. Their beloved teacher had called them by name, known them, loved them, and washed their feet. And when he was arrested and tried and crucified, they fled. They turned their heads away from him in his hour of need, some even denying that they knew him. Only one had outright betrayed him, but all of them had broken the friendship and trust that they had once shared, and it weighed them down. Not only were the disciples missing that life-giving bond with a friend, but they were carrying that extra burden of guilt and shame. I don't know if you've ever lived with guilt or listened to the voice of shame, but if you have, you know that shame says to you, you deserve to feel this way and you are going to feel this way forever. It does not give you a way out. It seals you in in a spiral of negative messages. It insists on taking up all the free space in your mind. Your brain on shame might as well be a tomb. So this is where the disciples are at the beginning of the reading living in a tomb made of fear and sin and guilt and shame. They're living, yes, but their life is governed by the ways of death. And that is exactly the place where the risen Christ chooses to appear. He doesn't appear on some mountain of glory demanding to be worshipped and praised. Jesus appears in the daily life struggles 
that occupies the minds and hearts of the people he loves. The Easter story might start at Jesus' tomb, but that's not where it finishes. That very night, the day that he is risen from the grave, Jesus goes into another tomb, the tomb where his disciples are living, a tomb that they have built for themselves. And he does it to bring new life to them. Jesus is risen, and he immediately begins the work of raising others up. Jesus walks out of his own tomb, and ever since that moment, he's been seeking out the tombs we live in to breathe the spirit of life into us. That's what we're talking about when we talk about resurrection. It's not about whether or not we can wrap our minds around this idea that God raised one person from the dead. It's about knowing that there is a God who longs to raise us, freeing us from the ways of death in the world. Resurrection means trusting that the God who raised Jesus from his tomb yearns to bring us out of our tombs as well. So what is the tomb you are living in this morning? Where has your life been stolen away by the ways of death in the world while you are still living? Where is fear a barrier between you and life? Who is it that you have wronged, breaking that life-giving gift of friendship and trust? Where is shame whispering in your ear that you are not enough? that you deserve your suffering, and that it's going to be like this forever. Where is the tomb you are trapped in? It's good to know where that is because that is precisely the place where the risen Christ appears to us. He doesn't appear after we get our lives together, not after we feel like we've earned a second chance, not after we've figured out how to be brave and face our fears and unlock those doors. The risen Jesus simply appears to you as you are, entering into the locked room of your fears and the tombs of your regret. And he does this because he is the Lord of the living. He does this to banish death and the ways of death that hold sway in our lives. And when this happens, it's never what we expect. It's never what we're prepared for. How could we be prepared for it? We are so familiar with the logic of death. I think most of us tend to look at the world with the expectation that we will encounter death and disappointment. We let shame and fear be the lenses we place over our eyes when we look at ourselves and the world. We expect to see death and his minions. They are so reliable. Sometimes I think we get accustomed to the tombs that we live in. Sometimes I even think we grow attached to them. So when Jesus appears in the midst of our tombs with that shocking and unsettling gift of new life, we are never prepared for it. In fact, I wonder in this reading if when the disciples saw Jesus, their first emotion wasn't joy, but fear. I wonder if they thought he was like the mummy, 
coming back to punish them for what they had done and to show his power over them and over the entire world. It might even be easier for us, easier for us to believe that God would raise a person from the dead than for us to believe that there is a way for us to live free of death's ways. But Jesus appears to us. Jesus appears newly alive, but also with the gift of new life. He appears with forgiveness. He appears to share and give away his power. He appears with a willingness to show his own wounds. When we're looking at the world with the lenses of fear and shame and the logic of death, those gifts don't seem like much. They seem weak and powerless. But the gifts that Jesus gives us in the resurrection, weak though they seem, are the way out of our tombs. They are the way forward for us. For when Jesus speaks forgiveness, he silences that voice of shame within us. Forgiveness means that our guilt over our wrongdoing no longer needs to control our story or our actions, our understanding of who we are and what we deserve. And when Jesus shares his power with us, breathing the Holy Spirit into our flesh, he does so to send us into the world to be reconciled with the ones that we have hurt to restore that life-giving friendship and trust between us. And when Jesus shows us his wounds, he shows us that it is possible to live fully and freely even after we've been hurt, even after we're grieving, and that we should not let the fear of the risks that come with giving and receiving love deter us from love's work. That is the power of the resurrection in us. It's God's gift to us of a way forward, a way out of the dead end of our tombs into a life that's filled with life. And that way forward is forgiveness. That way forward is a sharing power. That way forward is a willingness to show our own wounds. It's freedom, it's healing, it's resurrection, which is life filled with life, appearing to you, breathing in you, and holding you forever. Amen.